Overthinking It Podcast, episode 28. everybody, welcome to the Overthinking It podcast. This is episode number 28. I'm your host, Mark Lee. Did you hear that? Mark Lee, not Matt Rather. Okay, I know, listeners, as you're probably convulsing on the floor, um, not knowing what to do in this new paradigm. But fear not, Matt Rather is merely away on an intense, overthinking it spiritual retreat um, out in the woods. Um, <laughs> Uh, (laughs) contemplating deep mysteries of 80s movies and other forms of pop culture. Um, While he's away, I'm hosting, so try not to freak out. We'll bring you the same show that we always do every week. And before we do that, though, uh, just a few housekeeping items. First of all, the email for overthinking it is still down. You can blame Rather for that. No, we're we're still doing a technology... a, a transition thing. Um, so in the meantime, though, you can, if you want to tell us what you think about the podcast, about the website or anything, please give us a call at 20 eat log zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. I'm glad that the, uh, that the, the, the 20 log zero one still gives us a little bit of a chuckle. Um, no, actually, you know, and that's not a coincidence. We did specifically request 20 eat log zero one and paid extra for it. Uh, I wish that were true, though. Gosh. No. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. It's not. Um, a few other announcements before we get into the uh, meat of the show. Um, don't forget to give us a rating on iTunes if you have something to think about the show, especially if you think it's awesome. Thanks to everyone who's already rated the podcast, especially those who have given it five stars. We really appreciate it. It helps other people find out about the show. Um, what else is going on? Um, to help, Also, to help the podcast, um, there's a little survey on the website. It's right above the, the uh, podcast section on the homepage of the website. Um, it's a little survey. Take, please fill it out. It takes like five minutes. Um, we would super appreciate it. Um, if you did so, it's going to help us sell ads and totally ruin the podcast that you totally love. Um, one last final announcement. It's very important. This uh, podcast, hopefully you'll be listening to it on Monday. And if you are, please, please, please go to 2009.bloggy.com. And I might, be, might not even be uh, getting that right. Anyway, just go to the overthinkingit.com website. Find the article about the Bloggies Awards. Uh, find the link for that. And nominate us for as many categories as you think we may or may not deserve to be nominated for. Uh, no, it's totally last minute, and it's totally shameless to ask you to go out and nominate us for an award, but please do it. We would absolutely appreciate it. And if we win the award, um, I think there's a 2009 cent prize, and we will equally divide it of, uh, to all of our listeners who, um, who claim that they, they nominated and or voted for us. Okay, with the, all the announcements aside, I am super excited to announce and introduce our all-star overthinking it panel in alphabetical order from New York, New York. Please welcome Matt Belinky to the podcast. Matt, how are you hey, doing? Hey, everybody. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing just fine. I, I had to turn off Grand Theft Auto to do this, so that shows the level of dedication I have for this podcast. I know, I had to do the same thing, too. It was pretty hard. Yeah. How are you handling the Radulous podcast? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't. I miss the sort of surfer voice he does at the beginning, even though you did a decent approximation of it. You, you didn't have the, the overthinking it podcast voice. Like, here's the thing. He sounds like a like a California dude. You sound like a professional wrestler. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
winner is me. Okay, great. <laughs> Moving next in alphabetical order. Uh, to my left, immediate left, in the meat space. Not in the cyberspace, but in the meat space. Mr. Ryan Shealy, how you doing? I, I think meat space doesn't sound... It's. I think that can only be written and not spoken. <laughs> because it sounds like we're surrounded like in a, a locker filled with cuts of, of pork shoulder. Hey, and hey, Who's uh, to say we're not? Okay, that's true. I mean, I guess there's, this is not a video cast. So yes, we are in a meat locker in... Uh, <laughs> In, in in the west side of, of Manhattan, and it's, it's it's a little chilly, but it's delicious. Uh, I'm practicing, wait, wait, wait. My, I'm practicing my boxing every once in a while as well, too. Guys, guys, wait, hold it. I have the greatest idea ever. Let's start a gay internet cafe and call it the Meat Space. <laughs> uh, Matt Blinky, uh, I, I hate to break it to you, but I think that idea has already been done and accomplished. No. Google that. Yeah. Okay, and last but certainly not least, uh, broadcasting from Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, Brooklyn in the house, Mr. Jordan Stokes. How you doing, Jordan? I'm doing very well. And uh, did you collapse to the floor in, in convulsions when you found out that Matt Rather was not hosting the podcast? I figured it was just a matter of time. He was holding us back. <laughs> he, he's, he's essentially the, the, the Peter Gabriel to our Phil Collins. <laughs> but he's in the woods in an intense overthinking it retreat. He's going to come back and save us. No? Well, <laughs> they've said that about a lot of people, you know. Yeah. Jesus. That's <laughs> <laughs> about all. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we got a lot to talk oh, about. King today. Arthur. King Arthur? <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot to talk about in our Rattlerless Overthinking It podcast. And a few episodes ago, we discussed uh, what we did for New Year's. And I think all of the participants on this call were at my place. Uh, ring in 2009, the new year, with a rousing round of Rock Band, the video game. Actually, I wasn't. I was in New Haven oh, watching, right. you uh, watching Robocop 2 and cleaning my room. <laughs> it was, like, literally my best New Year's ever. Oh, it, was, it was awesome. <laughs> but but Sheila came over uh, shortly thereafter and played Rock Band at my place. So, um, if not simultaneously, then everyone on this podcast has been at my place to play Rock Band. Also, everyone on this podcast, uh, many times we've been known to venture out to the karaoke bars of New York City and uh, really throw it down. So I want to open the floor to uh, this notion of rock band and karaoke and guitar hero that somehow maybe these are changing the music industry, that now we are performers, or we're all performers and participants instead of just merely listening to the music. Any thoughts? Well, here's the thing. I think in New York City, we're used to the idea of private room karaoke, but I think in other parts of the country, karaoke only means one thing, which is singing in front of a large group of strangers. And so I think that's been sort of a barrier for entry for a lot of people, whereas it's not that people don't like seeing, it's that people don't like performing in front of strangers. And so Rock Band or Guitar Hero gives them a chance to sing, but only in front of like people they know and are comfortable with, whereas that in New York, karaoke can be an intimate thing because we have this private room thing where, for those of you who don't know, you can rent a small room for maybe like five or ten people and just invite the people you like and sing with them so you don't have to worry about like, you know, uh, like iBankers laughing at you. Well, but I, I mean, there is, I think that is the norm, but there's, a, in the last few years, or it's actually been going on for a while, has been a, a movement of kind of public, kind of live band or more performance oriented karaoke. Uh, I think, I don't know which came first. There's uh, uh, punk rock heavy metal karaoke, uh, which was originally done uh, by a band 
uh, at uh, Arlene's Grocery in the what the in, is that that was in the East Village. The East Village yeah. Um, and then uh, also hip hop karaoke, uh, in which there is a DJ uh, and a, and you have a hype man and you get on stage. And both of these, there's actually no no monitors, no bouncing balls, uh, and so most of the people that come out are intense fans of the genres in question. Um, and you know you can have a, a lyrics sheet, but it's very hard to have no accompaniment uh, except for your the DJ or the live band. Um, and I've participated in both of these, and they draw huge crowds um, and really enthusiastic crowds, but very genre specific. So I mean, even in New York, there is a movement away from these things. That, that, that's certainly that's definitely on the vanguard, on the cutting edge, you see, well of karaoke. Whereas right. I'd say in the in the, the masses are still. Uh, participating in this sort of entertainment in their living rooms. Um, some are doing it in the private karaoke rooms, but a lot of it's in the living rooms. Um, but my personal thought is, I think it's great that participating in music is, even if it's just with five buttons and a little flipper thing, you call that the guitar, or beating away on a plastic drum set, um, I am a big fan of this. I think that participating in music uh, adds a ton of value, and it creates uh, new audiences and new appreciations for music in ways we haven't seen before. But do you think it's going to be a compliment to uh, learning instruments and performing music, or a substitute for that? I wonder about that a lot. And here, here's my dilemma, is that... Um, I want my kids, I know this is uh, looking way into the future here, but I want my kids to be competent musicians. And, no, I want all of my kids to be competent musicians. I want my kid to be a fucking rock star. That's what I want my kid to be. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. I was waiting for and that. I want my kid to be a fucking rock star. I want him to be able to play the hell out of the guitar, the real electric guitar. Um, and you, you do mean that that means that he's going to hate rock music. You know that. You got to you got to go opposite. You got to do the opposite push the opposite of rock right. and roll. Okay, 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 okay. My future son, when you're going back to the overthinking archives and listen to this podcast, we got to edit that out actually. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to be one hell of a violin player like all good Asian kids, like your father tells you and your father's father before has told you. No. So okay, going back to really if if, if I want if children um, are expected to learn to play instruments. Um, I, I do fear that you know this this form of airsats uh, instrumentalism is is going to take away. Uh, you know, it's, because it's instant gratification, you lose this practice of you know just putting in all the hours and building expertise and doing the real thing. I don't know what you guys think. Well, I just I just wanted to throw out there, Mark, that I was I was reading. Uh, you guys know that uh, that CES is uh, is going on or went on last week. Oh yeah, the Consumer Electronics Show from Las Vegas. And one of the products that I read about is uh, Disney is going to release a uh, sort of a Guitar Hero um, doppelganger, but with an actual guitar. So you actually like hit a chord at the appropriate time. To play to play the song, I mean the the the, the downsides with this are twofold. A, it costs two hundred dollars, presumably because the technology is a little bit complicated. It's actually an electric guitar mm-hmm. with you know sort of like pickups that that show you know they, they can figure out exactly where your fingers are at all times. And two, presumably it'd be loaded up with like Hannah Montana and the Cheetah Girls and all sorts of Disney schlock, you know, High School Musical. Jonas so Brothers. That is, Don't forget the Jonas Brothers. Are, are they Disney? Yeah. Are they officially Disney? Wow. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. But they're dreamy, is what they are. Yeah, no, they are dreamy. Well, well, like well, well, on cost point, two hundred bucks. Well, the, the the rock the the rock band kit with the plastic drum set, the plastic guitar, and the game and the mic costs about two hundred bucks itself. So that's uh, not tre- not a tremendous cost in itself. I mean, a, a cheapo electric guitar you could get for a hundred, hundred fifty bucks. Um, I don't know, Jordan. Did you have something to say earlier there? 
I was going to say that I don't think that it's going to take away from uh, the, you know, from people's learning of actual instruments. I think that it's one of the arguments that people will make uh, saying that file sharing is not actually hurting the movie industry and the music industry is that there are people who are going to buy these songs or people who are not going to buy them. And if someone who wasn't going to buy it anyway steals it, you haven't actually lost money. I think that that's what you're going to get with Guitar Hero. The people who really have the potential to be awesome rock guitarists will find a way to do that. It's the people who weren't going to be good enough and never would have cared that much about music who suddenly have this way to interact with it. Right. Um, well, and I think that, it, and I, I think I think you're actually right. It could actually lead to kind of a new Pareto optimal equilibrium of uh, of music uh, uh, enjoyment. That is Pareto optimal. I mean, everyone is better off, right? And um, and and sort of leads us to a, a new place where I mean, like from my participation in punk rock heavy metal karaoke, um, what I've been doing is I've been listening to a lot of heavy. I mean, I've never listened to heavy metal very much, but you know, in the you know last few weeks since I last participated in heavy metal karaoke, I've been listening to Iron Maiden. I've been listening to early ACD. And it's you know it's make, it's actually changing what I want to listen to and you know what kind of music I might want to make in the future and you know the empowering experience of getting in front of a room of, of strangers and singing Danzig and chipping my tooth in the process <laughs> I mean it was awesome I mean and, and it, it made me you know like it both gave me the adrenaline rush of performing a stage without the months and months of, of rehearsal that it would do so in a band but for me it did inspire me to then you know listen to new music learn more you know about a genre that I didn't know as much about and then possibly make music my own. So I think it can have this feedback effect. Speaking of that, uh, Sheely, um, you're, you're, the mention of the artist, the artist you mentioned is, is significant, not just in the, in the context of the punk metal karaoke, but also in the games, rock band, and guitar hero. And that, the, that kind of by its nature, the, the songs that are in those games definitely skew towards the rock uh, and metal and also classic rock uh, categories, and I, I think definitely that these songs are being opened up to a generation which really would have never listened to them before. Yeah, I don't know what that will. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I don't know how that's affecting. Can you? I, you, you I, I've never. You know, I don't own um, any video game systems, but can you? If you have a game on on rock band or uh or guitar hero could you then download it like can you listen to it at, like the actual song like you, you know you couldn't do it just straight off the, if you, if only the only thing right. you had was the video because that'd so be an then, interesting tie-in so you'd have to go out and buy it exactly and that's definitely what the music industry is is hoping to do you buy the same song in multiple formats and the same person who bought the L- guns and roses lp in 1988 um you know, later on bought the cassette tape and then later bought the CD and then maybe downloaded it again on iTunes and now is, is paying three bucks to download it onto Rock Band. Revenue multipliers. <laughs> I say that like I know something about business, but that's definitely not the case. Now, um, so that's, that's, that's definitely the, the video game thing, but do we think the same thing applies to, uh, to karaoke? To, to just, you know, either packing your, all your friends into a room or going out to the bar and, and singing that way. Well, have you guys, have, um, Matt or uh, Jordan, have you guys done public karaoke? I, 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 most of the times I've done karaoke with you guys is, is the small room karaoke. I've done public karaoke. I don't like it as much. I feel like I don't, I don't get a kick out of the sort of performing for strangers aspect. 
Well, you know, the attention for me is I, I don't really care where it comes from. It is so <laughs> It's like sunlight for you. Yeah, like if if they have eyes and are directing them at me, I mean, it's just I can just I only get stronger. Hilarious. So, so here's something that I brought up last week, and when I mentioned the the book uh, "Don't Stop Believing," how uh, how karaoke changed the world and changed my life, is that um, the book raises the question of when you're doing hip-hop and karaoke and the N-word shows up in the lyrics of karaoke, what do you do? Now, obviously, in a, in a crowd, it's going to be different. But when you're just in the private karaoke room and the N-word comes up on the lyrics, what do you do? It's always an interesting question. Um, substituting cracker works pretty well, I find. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I actually, scams. like, I don't know if this is the answer you want to hear. I tend to avoid those songs for almost exactly that reason. <laughs> I mean, I like, it, it depends on, like, what song you're doing. Because, um, you know, you want something that both scans, that, that fits the rhythmic structure of the N-word. But then, ultimately, like, it depends on the artist. Like, if you're doing, a, like, a lot of Notorious B.I.G. songs, the N-word is actually really important to the rhyme, and, like, specifically, like, internal rhymes. And so, like, what hip-hop karaoke does is that, like, they provide you with lyric sheets, and they unilaterally change the N-word to brother. Um, and that makes it really hard, because uh, it just doesn't scan. What my brother used to do, my, my own actual, <laughs> my own actual brother, <laughs> my sibling, my male sibling, um, uh, used to use pickle um and i've also heard of people using ninja, ninja um, i like that but they're both i mean it, it it's they're both problematic um i think i but i don't know it's 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 the the whole tyrannies of of political correctness are are, are difficult but brother works but you know pickle is kind of fun <laughs> I, I think ninja brings an un- uncom- uncomfortable cross-racial aspect into it uh i don't know i don't know as i as you Podcast listeners should know I represent pretty much all Asians ever to the podcast, <laughs> to the podcast and on the blog as well. And um, to equate, uh, you know, Which is, that, is that itself? I guess that itself is kind of racist, right? <laughs> Come I mean, to think of it, oh my god! Oh my god! All this time! Oh my god! Oh, what no. are we doing? We're living a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We put, put ninja on the same level as the uh, as the ultimate racial slur <laughs> for African Americans. Then uh, also for that matter, for for you know for pickles, for pickled cucumbers. What do pickle pickled cucumbers think? Those are that? delicious. The pickles are delicious. I love pickles. <laughs> you can be proud to be a pickle. I have lots of pickle friends. Um, okay, hey. we're going a little so, off the deep end here. Yeah. <laughs> so hey, speaking of African American culture, uh, we. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that going? We, we, the subject of, of snitching <laughs> has come ah, up yeah, yeah. on the blog, and which, as we know, is becoming some, has become a, a, a serious issue actually in, in the African American community. And what we, I'm of course referring to um, this uh, kind of out, offshoot of hip hop slash African American culture, in which uh, people are not to cooperate with the police under any circumstances at all. 
And, uh, and that's encapsulated in the p- pithy phrase, stop snitching, which uh, started as a DVD, I believe, shot in Baltimore a um, number of years ago. But it's also a line of T-shirts with a stop sign with the word snitching <laughs> uh, written underneath stop. Uh, and was and, and Shuley, for those, for those people who don't know about this, I think this is hilarious enough to recapitulate. It started out – usually you don't think of criminal organizations producing DVDs. But in this case, it was literally like the criminals went out and made like an informative documentary style DVD about how one should not cooperate with the police or you would kill them. Right. And, and like distributed it free of charge to any well, the, interested uh, parties. The, the, the propaganda, essentially. Yeah, Muqtada al-Sadar's uh, militia in Iraq has been doing that for several years. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, I guess, I guess, yeah, I'm sorry, I would, I would draw the comments. Right. It's... I, I, so, I guess multimedia has been basically, basically it's like Linné Riefenstahl, but but you know for the inner city. Wow, oh wow, Linné Riefenstahl. Am I going to regret saying that? I can't even really put it into context. <laughs> no, there's no editing of this either. By the way, I'm we're going to put, put that on a T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, like it's, it's it's basically like instead of Tramp of the Will, it's like the the anti-tramp of the snitch actually you should you should write the the producers of the dvd and have 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 them put that as a blurb on the back of the, uh, <laughs> the DVD cover. <laughs> wow so belenki would you mind like uh, briefly summarizing the uh the, the snitching article that you wrote about the scent of a woman well it was it was about um whether tr- for you know for those of you who don't remember and scent of a woman you know usually people think of Hua and Al Pacino doing the tango even though he's blind and everything but the movie is actually the sort of framing device of it he's a prep school student he observes a prank in which a balloon full of maybe paint or some sort of white substance is exploded over the headmaster's car and, in fact, the headmaster himself. And the headmaster knows that both um, Chris O'Donnell, uh, Charlie, and his best friend, Philip Seymour Hoffman, not his best friend, but his acquaintance, Philip Seymour Hoffman, have seen the balloon explode. And so he wants them to say who did it and do it in a public forum. And so the question is, should he say who did it or should he keep quiet and basically uh, insist that he didn't know who did it, even though everyone knows that he knows who did it? Basically, to snitch or not to snitch. And one of the things I believe that came up was uh, if you believe that uh, the snitching to the authorities and the authorities are truly the enemy, then, then snitching is by no means is not okay. Which is right. the, the argument of the hip-hop. Uh, well, here's the thing. Yeah, when you're talking about the hip-hop community and the stop snitching thing, there are two ways to look at it. One is just that like, the whole stop snitching thing is about um, we're criminals and we want to be able to perform our crime. And snitching makes that more difficult and therefore we're encouraging people not to snitch. And so we can more easily you know, live our gangster lifestyle. But another way to look at it is that the police are the enemy in a really – which is not – an uncommon feeling even among the the law-abiding segments of the inner city community because, you know, so many uh, young men are in jail for nonviolent drug-related offenses that it really, you know, that the the feeling that the police are out to get us is pretty widespread and that, you know, if you really believe that, that, like, the the police are not your friends, then in that case, stop stitching could be almost like a moral or ethical statement that like co- that the police are bad and cooperating with them is is not you know in the best interest of our community 
Well, it goes a step beyond that. I mean, um, in addition, in in some cases, uh, you know, some sociologists, uh, most notably Sudhir Venkatesh, who's at Columbia, have found that uh, that drug gangs actually, like, in some urban areas, operate as as the government, like, as a replacement to the state, and actually solve disputes, um, and actually are a more legitimate source of governance than the state, uh, and so that people will actually snitch to the to the um, drug. Gangs, they may tell them of things, you know, where there's an undercover officer. It's not stop snitching. Stop snitching to the police and to the bad authority. Yeah, exactly. So it's not about the dynamics of of being an informant per se or, or providing information to a governing authority, which is like you know a really important part of governance and law and like. Uh, Third-party enforcement in general, but it's 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 who you're, uh, which which authority you're you're snitching to. No, I think that's a good sure point. A, if you make sure it's let's say stop committing treason, yeah, essentially, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty, yeah, pretty much. It just depends on what your worldview is. Are you guys familiar with the the Thug Life Code? There is a, a document called the the Thug Life Code, which is. Um, I've I've seen it on the internet as cited as being co-written or like you know somehow uh, presided over by Tupac Shakur back Just in like 1992. Magna, it's like the Magna Carta of like hip hop culture. No, like. it, it basically is. It was it was. Here's the thing. Like I don't know a whole lot about. I'm not claiming to be an expert, but I came across across this in the research for the snitching thing. And it didn't make it in. But this is a document that was that was allegedly signed between the Crips and the Bloods in 1992, and Tupac was somehow involved in this. And this was literally like sort of a general code of conduct that was that was supposed to be like what you are and are not allowed to do as like a gangster such as like no selling no selling to kids no selling in schools you know stuff like that um and one of one of the points of it is that like the boys in blue don't control anything like we do and it's up to us to make sure that our communities are safe for those not in the life mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. and like it, lit- it literally said that apparently like the crips and the bloods both agreed to this. I'm not saying this is true, but I'm saying that like you can you can search for Thug Life Code and find this like you know copy and pasted like verbatim into a bunch of different websites on like hip hop culture. Like li- it's like literally like a 30 point code, and a lot of them, by the way, are no snitching. Snitching will not be tolerated. And in fact, you know one crew snitches every crew's problem, and that like you know we're gonna we're gonna hunt down each other's snitches for the good of the 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 life in general. If you think that some behavior may be snitching, but you're not sure, check first. You know? <laughs> <laughs> is there a definition of snitching? Like you know, these? Is it is it like is it written as like a in a formal like language and like a, you know old timey font or on parchment or? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that the idea that like the the police don't run anything extends to all government services. So you're you're not allowed to call to have the sewer main fixed. You need to have the Crips handle that. Right, the post allowed. office. They have their own post office uh, service yeah. also. And the... yeah. Well, to bring that back to, to Iraq, I mean, that's pretty much the state of things when the uh, when the Medi Army, Al-Sadr's uh, Shiite militia, was absolutely in control. And because the state, you know, was not providing any services, then it was like, you know, no bother going to the state. You know, the Medi Army will provide social services, will fix the sewers, and you can say the same thing probably yeah. for Hezbollah. Yeah. And there is, I mean, there's, there's been some New York Times articles on the connection between the lack of public service, lack of, of lack of 
uh, trash removal and and clean water and and support for the Mahdi Army. And so, it, I mean, it links to all of these kind of hearts and minds uh, ideas of, of counterinsurgency that, that go back to Vietnam, even. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a really common. Uh, uh, component of, uh, of of sort of irregular warfare and a lot of you know governance in in urban areas maps onto that in a lot of ways. So um, we need a counterinsurgency right. in a hearts and minds campaign in the in the in the urban areas. Some would definitely argue that. I think. what would that look like though? I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> That's another topic for another podcast <laughs> or a dissertation. Yeah, this is definitely. I don't know. No, I, mean, I think I think a lot of it would be like ending the war on drugs or modifying it in mm-hmm. such a way that like you aren't putting people away for possession. You know, of marijuana and stuff yeah. like that. Well, to extend the the Iraq uh, argument, um, is there a way that the government could co-opt uh, thug gang leaders into their fold, <laughs> like the like the Sunni uh, like the Sunni uh, resurgence? Well, I think what you're talking uh, about. Is, getting, uh, first oh, of all, I haven't seen The Wire, and I want to. I want to preemptively mention The <laughs> Wire so nobody else. Wait, Shit. Blinky, you you brought up The Wire. <laughs> no one did. else brought it up. You did. But no, now because you're I, knew, why I you thought should. that that was people were going to be like, actually, The Wire. People do. No, but I was going to say that, like, I don't know about The Wire, but in The Shield. Basically what happens is Vic Mackey is a, a crooked cop, but one of the ways that he does uphold law and order on the streets is by allowing certain gangs to operate as long as they operate under sort of obey certain – you know, like, like they don't hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. It, it, basically like as long as they behave, he allows gangs to uh, – you know, certain illegal activities because he'd rather sort of know who's in charge and be able to like yell at them when stuff goes down mm-hmm. than just arrest all the gang leaders and let new people rise to take their places that he doesn't know. And it makes sense in a way. Um, I mean, I think it's an interesting. I, I think both of the examples. I'm not going to hit too heavy on the wire because you know I'm sure we will someday have a wire specific podcast. But I think both the wire and and the shield and the, the whole host of other related media, you know, relate. There's a divergence between the law. And then sort of norms or like what are actual – like what is actually good behavior and what are the actual working rules that govern uh, social behavior. And it's something like what a hearts and minds campaign would look like. I mean there's an idea – you know, the initial – I think it first emerged in the 70s in criminology is the broken windows uh, approach to uh, urban governance. And you know, the idea – it was I think an article in The Atlantic by uh, Kellen and uh, James Q. Wilson. And the idea is, is that uh, basically small bits of urban disorder broken windows in a building, trash on the street, graffiti can like signal that nobody cares enough to enforce social order and that that leads to a spiral of crime. So, I mean, I think that and, you know, it's a kind of a rich piece. And one thing that they actually, the beginning of the article actually describes a very much a Mackey-like situation of, um, like, public order policing of, of a cop sort of col- collaborating with local, uh, local communities uh, t- to enforce sort of local community rules that aren't really written in the law. And a lot of the things the cop was doing wouldn't really, uh, st- really probably hold up in a court of law as following due, uh, due process or anything. But... Uh, nonetheless, kind of fits within community uh, standards. Um, so I think that um, you know, ultimately, broken windows led to a very kind of harsh, draconian, uh, you know, three strikes you're out kind of uh, uh, policing. But like the the seeds of a kind of a hearts and minds kind of uh, urban governance is is in that article. It's a super rich article, and I would recommend everyone check it out. Hey, you know what else broken windows led to? What's that? <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell's career in the whole bunch of like <laughs> of, of spin-offs related from that. It's true. <laughs> 
But but Sheila, I think I think what you and I are, are both agreeing on is that whereas on the face of it, the whole stop snitching campaign seems like an anti-ethical mm-hmm. statement. You know, it seems like you know, like like no, you should defy law and order. And how can that be like a moral position? Right. But in a way, if you really truly believe that, like the criminal justice system is corrupt and cooperating mm-hmm. with it would be just like, you know, corrupt as well. Stop snitching could be part of like, you know, a, a, a c- consistent ethical system. Right. And so in some ways you have to almost see like the government's response to stop snitching should be like, it's almost like as a, it's a marketing problem. Like, listen, you know, they're going to the other guy, like we've got to improve our services and, uh, you know, and, and encourage people to start snitching, but make it worthwhile. And, you know, <laughs> give a government worth snitching too. <laughs> um. you, you guys are aware of the, the other DVD that was produced by the Baltimore police after the snaps, they, they produced their own DVD. What was it called? It was called Keep Talking. <laughs> and it, was basically, it was basically like, look, we're really good at like protecting people who snitch. They're never going to know who you are. It's totally safe. They're just, they're, they're just the reason they made that DVD is because they're afraid and because it's working. And go ahead and keep talking and make our communities. It was widely uh, – it did not get the, the, the positive reviews that Stop Snitching did in the film press. <laughs> Was it got like a forty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes? You know, sequels are never as good as the original. No. <laughs> the, I think it's the GoBots to the Transformers, right? To, to use a metaphor, we Although keep coming back. I believe, I believe the GoBots came first, but but yes, yes. Well, it is. Uh, what if it were a trilogy? The third one would be decent. What would the third of the uh, Baltimore uh, uh, police uh, snitching uh, trilogy be? Um, stop so snitching it's, hard it's, with stop the vengeance. Keep talking, <laughs> and then one is like you know. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. Post it in the comments, people. Post it in the like, comments. Right on. W-R-I-T-E on. Like, submit your <laughs> snitching in on paper. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so seriously, have there been any examples the Twitter of... Twitter of justice. <laughs> in all seriousness, have there been any examples of successful uh, start keep talking campaigns, for lack of a better word? Hmm. Um... Places where the like the the people who have nominal temporal power were able to get the hearts and minds of the populace on their side. I don't know. Was that a conjecture? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I, again, we'll uh, we'll open that one up to our listeners, maybe, and uh, we'll keep yeah. overthinking it for uh, for the future. Sure, let us know in the comments. Um, okay, anything else on snitching from the panel? They're not talking. Uh, uh, That's what I'm <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see nothing. Who's asking? Depends it's on who's asking. Oh, man. Please, that. <laughs> okay. So, uh, we are recording this, of course, on Sunday night, the evening of January 11th. And what's going on now while we are recording this podcast and giving it to you, the listeners, is the Golden Globe Awards. They're happening right now. We're not watching it. We are depriving us, our, ourselves of this pop culture enjoyment. Um in order to provide this podcast for you. In other words, I don't want to watch the Golden Globes award show because I don't <laughs> like them. Um, but what I wanted to talk about award shows, uh, we could talk about award shows in general, but I had a specific question. Is why is it that there are separate categories for male and female actors and actresses? Is it because they just want more awards to give out? Or is it because that male and female acting is somehow inherently different? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely started out because people thought that they were completely different skill sets, and there's no way that you could compare them. Right, but I mean, you... big moves is certainly a female, a female thing only. Mostly, I, I mean. Marlon Brando late in his career. And this is true, yes. Even even in Last Tango in Paris, he's a fairly hefty guy. So, <laughs> so, so there's the argument that they were, they were uh, traditionally in the past that they were inherently different skill sets. Was that because of kind of a, a sexist outlook upon the, the traditional roles that females were provided in films? I think so. I think it's interesting. If you look at words that get taken out of the Oxford English Dictionary, one of the big categories that gets removed is female-specific uh, terms for particular jobs. Right. Like, I remember a couple of years back, they took out poetess, whereas now if a woman is a, a poet, you just call her a poet who happens to be female. And I was thinking, one of the ones that still is very much in our society is uh, actress and actor, and then waitress and waiter, I guess. Other than that... And sometimes waitress and waiter lead to actor actor, uh, actor and (laughs) in in L.A. I don't know. (laughs) Sorry. Blinky, any thoughts? It's interesting. I I mean, I think that if you're going to have a separate category for men and women, you should also have categories for, like, you know, men over 55. You should have a seniors (laughs) category. (laughs) You know, and that's then you actually, should have a senior women category. That's actually a, a better point because uh, age often does very much dictate the the types of roles that people get. Right? There's obviously the leading man role, which um, you know, well, Clint Eastwood. I was about to say Clint Eastwood isn't so much getting leading man roles these days, but uh, Gran Torino may may have proved differently. But the traditional leading man role is not something that I'd uh, say a male over the age of forty something would get. Right. And and so that I mean I, in a way I, I think that it's fair if you're going to subdivide it like that, then you should be and then and then also um I uh, is is it the Golden Globes that that subdivide things and you have like you know actor in a comedy and yeah. then actor in a drama, right? I'm looking at the list here. There's drama. There's comedy. Uh, let's see here, comedy yeah, they, or musical as well. Um foreign language film. So then both for movies and television, they're divided into drama and comedy or comedy or musical. I mean, that's always, that's made a lot more sense to me in general, because if you look back over time, if you're an actor in a comedy, it probably doesn't matter how well you did. You're not getting the Oscar. It's just not going to happen. And it should be pointed out that, uh, in the, uh, best supporting actor in a comedy, uh, column, we, we have both, um, no, excuse me. I'll take I take that back. Um, I was about to say that for supporting actor for comedy or drama, that's where we would have seen Tom Cruise and Robert Downey Jr. for Tropic Thunder. But no, for just for the straight up supporting actor uh, category, they are both up for the Golden Globe for the really? role of Tropic Thunder. But uh, Heath Heath Ledger won, I believe. He ledgers in it, so he already won. I think I, I think that happened when I was uh, on my way over here. Uh, he uh, so again the two the two comedies couldn't uh, stand up to the. Uh, I mean, I, that's that's that doesn't really uh, answer anything because it was Heath Ledger and. I mean, right. I don't know. Is there anybody surprised you could argue that, that like won, their nomination? Or? They were only nominated because everyone knew Heath Ledger was going to win, and therefore their nominations like were sort of safe. And you know, it was in, every other entry in that category was sort of like meaningless. So you might as well give it to the fan favorites. Well, let me just read out the rest of them here. So we have Tom Cruise and Robert Downey Jr. from Tropic Thunder, Ralph Fiennes from The Duchess, 
I assume that's a serious movie. Philip Seymour Hoffman from Doubt, which is obviously a serious movie, then uh, Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight, which is The Dark if, Knight. Wait, if he's supporting actor, then who's the lead actor in that? Or there is no lead actor in the that. Forbe- like the overbearing sense of doom and fear. <laughs> <laughs> for which one? For Doubt or for The Dark Knight? For Doubt. Oh. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I mean, I was thinking, like, like, can you have a movie in which there is only a supporting actor and no lead actor? I mean, I guess if they're just, like, they're, the main roles are all for women, then then by default, and then if there's a... I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that, is the male with the biggest part in the movie automatically the lead actor? <laughs> you said male with the biggest part. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. Uh, 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 that'd be ironic if, uh, if Mark Wahlberg is credited as the supporting uh, actor in, in Boogie uh, Nights. Uh, <laughs> No, no, man. I'm really, I'm really hitting out of the park on this movie category. Let's yeah, talk about the kind of, sociology. Some yeah. more. <laughs> the kind of high-level discourse you've all come to expect from us. Okay, well, let's get back to the subject of award shows in general. And I said that I'm not watching it pretty much out of choice because I don't like award shows in general. I find them to be long and boring. What does the rest of the panel think about this? I mean, I'm pretty much just an Oscars only man. You know, I'm not going to be like, oh boy, it's the Grammys. So, and, and even the Oscars, I watch with a, a larger grain of salt than most. I mean, I know everyone talks about how much the Oscars are, you know, all, all the, the things through history that have proved that the Oscars are meaningless. But then at the same time, like, they, they watch and they get annoyed when they feel like the results are unfair. But I actually I managed to, like, successfully not care who wins or loses. So I, I pride myself on that. I'm literally bragging about my sort of detachment from the Oscar results. Do you, are you really that detached from the Oscar results? I mean, you, when was the last – you can't remember a time when you really were rooting for, for I something? mean, I remember that it was like a few years ago when Crash won Best Picture, and I think that that might have been like the nail in the coffin for me, at which point I was just like from now on, I can't really take it that – I can't really muster any indignation over the results. Because, I mean, that was one where, like, I literally felt like any of the other four movies in that category would have been better than Crash. And so I, all I could do is... And, and you know what? Like, I feel... had 100% less ludicrous. Um... <laughs> and I have a feeling it's going to happen again this year. You know, it's, it's way, way early. I have a feeling that Slumdog Millionaire is going to win Best Picture. And it's going to be one of those where, like, any of the other four movies would have, like, made me happier. You really didn't like Slumdog Millionaire that much, huh? No, I liked it fine. I just don't think it's best picture material. I think that it's like pretty much what you see is what you get. There's no surprises. I don't think there's any really substantial acting. You know, it's it's feel Uh, good, sort of like. Well, go on, go on. No, I mean, I'm just I'm just saying that like I don't think it's an incredible work of filmmaking. I think it's a really solid feel good movie, but I don't think it's like a great work of art. See, it's interesting that you say feel good as if that kind of moves it to a lower level. I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I mean, you, you, you feel like I'm biased against movies with happy endings, that I feel that for a movie to be serious, it has to end with, like, everyone coated in blood, just crying and wishing for death. I, mean, I don't think it's just you, but I do think that there's <laughs> kind of an attitude out there that a movie that ends happily goes down a peg in our artistic estimation. Hey, I'm I'm still bitter that uh, Shawshank Redemption didn't win, so it's not just that simple. But to some extent, what? I don't know. I felt I felt that I was disappointed by the ending to Slumdog Millionaire. That I thought that it was like I expected something more interesting to happen at the end than the thing that happened. 
Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Plenty of us haven't seen it. I won't. I won't spoil it. But let's just say that like they don't even try to make anything surprising happen at the end of the movie. Well, it, it turns be. out that Slumdog Millionaire was a slut. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so I think we're all in consensus. Though we will be tuning in for the Oscars, which is coming up in a few weeks. And it's kind of hard not to watch. Yeah, and 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 Belinky, I, I think you, you were trying to say that you're you know losing you know you're. You know, lowered your expectations for the Oscars, but I would imagine you would be disappointed if Heath Ledger didn't win. Would that be a fair statement? I don't. You know what? I, I don't really think I would. You know, I, I I honestly don't. You know, I mean, I I, I kind of wanted to win. It would make me feel good, but like, I don't think that it's going to be something that like I, I don't think I'm going to write an angry blog post about it if it does if he doesn't win. I'm trying to think if there are any performances. That that I really do feel like really have to be enshrined, or else like it, you know I'm, it's gonna get my dander up. Uh, I mean I'm, I I have, I hope Mickey Rourke wins because he's really great. But like, let, let me let me let me ask you know to really broaden the scope here for a second here. Um, people have been talking about for a long time that you know with the democratization of uh, of the ability to create creative works that there is now such an incredible diversity of stuff out there that this idea, this concept of this kind of elite cadre handing out awards is outdated mm-hmm. and obsolete. Is that why do we, you know, if, we, if we're the society that really, you know, celebrates everything under the sun, um, then why do we even need, you know, the, the, the academy, this elite academy to hand out these statues? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just a tradition. Like, it... it I, I agree that, like, obviously, in a way, the People's Choice Awards are the only award show we need. But in another way, the People's <laughs> Choice Awards should be banned and never seen by anyone. Um, because in a way, they're really predictable. That, like, you know the Heath Ledger's going to win it. In a way that, that – and, and here's, here's an overthinking argument for you. That, like, the reason why the Academy Awards are interesting is because they're a little bit fluky mm-hmm. and because it's not just a popularity contest. Because, like, you feel like there's sort of weird – behind-the-scenes machinations that, like, we as mere mortals can't really understand. And, and, and the fact that Heath Ledger might not win is what, is what gets us to watch. Right. Right, because if there, I mean, if it were up to a popular vote, he would win hands down. Um, no, and, and it, would, it would also be really easy for anyone with, like, a big enough website to, like, have an online poll and predict with a great degree of accuracy who's going to win. You know, IMDb could predict the winners of the Oscars you know, months before if it were just a popularity contest. I wonder, it would be an interesting thing, though, because it's also not a, you know, it is a, you know, as Mark mentioned, an elite cadre. It's an oligarchy. It would be interesting to have an awards show that was decided by one person. So we have the democracy, the oligarchy, and, and the dictatorship. Who, was that, who would that one person be? <laughs> it would rotate every year, uh, <laughs> randomly selected from the population. But, I mean, but of course there are, like, a ton of, uh, you know, best of lists at the end of the year that every film critic in America does exactly that. Yeah, Although, I guess so. Especially not picking best supporting actress of the year you're so i guess that is, what is so what is it that makes a award matter i mean it's i guess because it is a tradition but i mean other than that you know, well, how can you create a new voting, award or a post award Academy awards it's everyone in hollywood voting on their favorite movies and maybe that sort of gives it a little extra oomph that like it's like it's like you get all the stars in hollywood together in a room and they're basically it's almost as if like you know they were voting live 
You know, that, that like when, when they pick the best actress, it's all the people in that room that pick the best actress. Obviously, a lot hmm. more than the people invited there. I mean, it's, it's tens of thousands of people, I think, because it's everyone who's in any of the unions. Gets to, you know, so it's all, the, all the, the people who did lighting also vote on, on best actress, even though they don't get invited to the ceremony. But I think to some extent, it's because it is the judgment of the Hollywood community that those carries more weight than, let's say, the Los Angeles Films Critics Circle or, you know, the Producers Guild, which is just like, it's like a subset that doesn't necessarily, you know, it's like, who cares? What, what like, you know, the Foreign Critics Circle or what, I don't, I don't even know some of the, the other random awards things that are basically issued in press release form. Hey, you know what's elite well, cadre of, of, of pop culture mavens should be giving out awards? I think that was right here. <laughs> yeah. So we've been we've been thinking about this a lot, and uh, I just wanted to tease to the readers that we are planning on, and hopefully, we'll be uh, issuing our own set of overthinking it awards. We haven't settled on the name quite yet. Um, overthinkies is kind of the 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 default there. Overthinkers, perhaps. I guess. Th- so, what separates an award from like just a best of list is that we actually we should send the winners something. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, totally. We should send it to their agents or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's how that's how something starts. Like, I mean, we like yeah, like everyone makes a, a best of list, but we you know make we make our categories. We set up a very serious protocol, decide what the awards are, and and actually send them to the winners within the very nice letter and go from there over things we should send them we should send them like (laughs) we should send them (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh, rather come back to us. You could lead us out of this morass. We need a strong man. <laughs> After you. I know. I was just, I was just suggesting that, like, we go on some sort of medical supply website and we get actual cow brains, and we just send one each to the winners. <laughs> I was going to say that we should buy like a four dollar copy of um, you know Penguin Great Books Aristotle's Poetics and send that to all the writers. <laughs> Whose idea was better? I don't even know. How about both? Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> we get Aristotle's Poetics and we like coat it in actual brains. Oh my god. <laughs> Wow. So, right. overthinking yeah. listeners and readers, look forward to the overthinkies, overthinkingers, uh, cow brains and Aristotle <laughs> prizes coming soon for the best pop culture, overthought pop culture things of 2008. Okay. To further tease the other things coming up from the blog, this one is far more um, immediate and upcoming is, with great fanfare, I am proud to pronounce that this is back to the future week. Yes, and that great fanfare is written by John Barry. That's not written by John Barry, is it? I think John Williams, surely, isn't it? No, not John Williams. I think, is it Alan Silvestri? No, I'm pretty sure it's John Barry, but you know what? The internet will know. The internet will know. Anyway, so this is Back to the Future Week. Um, you might be, and this is kind of a continuation of the first theme week that we had on Overthinking It. No, the second theme week we had on Overthinking It, Karate Kid Week. Before that, we had uh, Terminator Week in recognition of the uh, of the Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles. We also TV had Anna Nicole Smith Day. 
Um, within the first month of the blog existing. <laughs> Don't forget that and Nicole, Nicole Smith Day, certainly. So, it's Karate Kid... We- uh, no, it's not Karate Kid Week. It's Back to the Future Week. We got a lot of great stuff about Back to the Future coming up. Expect uh, crazy overthinking it on time travel, paradoxes, 80s culture, all these kind of things. But rather than get into all this now, we'll do this in, in depth on the podcast next week. I wanted to just briefly overthink the thought of why we are having this week to begin with, and why is it that we've done two 80s movies in a row for our theme week. Whose idea was uh, Back to the Future week? Uh, was this a, just a consensus thing? or I think there was I, one post that... Was this you, or... Uh... I, I, th- I think it was uh, Sheena and me were both simultaneously writing posts on Back to the Future, and so we figured, like, you know, we're a third of the way there already. We might as well get some more together. But, but I'm somebody... sorry, and you know what? Uh, it is, in fact, Alan Silvestri. I don't know anything about anything. <laughs> Winner is me. <laughs> This is why I'm hosting, guys, because I remember shit like that. <laughs> okay, so well, whatever. But, he, thought it was, he thought it was John Williams. Let's make fun of him for a while. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. That? no, no, that I, I need to hang my head in shame, man. Yeah, you've like been studying this shit for a living, right? Isn't this like your yeah? Isn't this your job? Is figuring out what's John Williams and what's not? It's John literally, literally my job. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> future employers, please do not listen to this podcast. And I, I, I think I speak for everyone involved. <laughs> I think we have a title for this. Hey, no, I was talking. I was holding shit down in my in my in my neck of the woods. So I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Yeah. But, but getting back to this this whole this, this extreme navel gazing exercise of why why have a week dedicated to Back to the Future and why is it a following Karate Kid, which is also a seminal piece of '80s filmmaking? Well, and that's like part of it is that anything having to do with time travel lends itself very well to overthinking. Certainly, as is Terminator. Right, because there, there's anything having to do with sort of paradoxes and timelines and anything that requires a great logical, you know, like following following things through and, and nitpicking, you know, <laughs> is, is, is catnip for our site. So that like part of it, I'm sure that a lot of us are going to be, you know, focusing entirely on time travel. You know, as as opposed to like you know the great makeup work that they use to make Christopher Lloyd look older. <laughs> yeah, the interesting thing is that though that doesn't explain Karate Kid at all. So it's got to be more than just that. The, yeah, the, no, is that's there, a good is point. Time travel in Karate Kid. Is that why the crane kick is unblockable? Because you actually like go back in time and hit them before they're able uh, to raise the bar. <laughs> exactly. No, I think, I think con- it, Go ahead, Stokes. I think that it may have something to do with the average age of the people on our website. That at a certain point in your youth, some pieces of pop culture kind of get programmed in as classics. I don't know that Back to the Future is honestly that great a movie, but I saw it at an age when it was the best movie that anyone could possibly make. And I don't think that anything's going to jar it from that status. This is an interesting... I mean, I, I'm... I'm a little young. I mean, I'm only probably a year or so younger but, uh, than you, but um, I actually, the first time I saw Back to the Future 1 was like four days ago. Um, I'd seen Back to the Future 2 and Back to the Future 3, but when Back to the Future came out, it came out in, what, 1985? Yes, 1985. I was three years old, so I didn't see it, um, and, you know, nor would I probably have vivid, very vividly remembered it. But even you being, you know, a year older, or, you know, some of the folks are a few more years older, you know, would have them, you know, have it more ingrained. I mean, I think I've enjoyed watching it, and we'll probably write something this week. But it, it you know, I, I really, 
I really actually see. I would have been eight when Back to the Future Three came out, and I remember seeing that in the theater and enjoyed it. But uh, it it didn't necessarily resonate in the same way. But I, I see why it would for for you guys. Chili, what, what could you have possibly made of seeing Back to the Future Two, having not seen Back to the Future One, because it's such a dependent sequel. Yeah, it didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> right, fair enough. But 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 Back to the Future Three does is is kind of a bit more independent. I guess mean, so we can talk yeah, about this yeah. next week. Um, but you know, I don't know. I figured it out uh, well enough. Uh, uh, I don't remember if I saw Back to the Future Two. I think I saw that. I think my parents had seen Back to the Future, so they kind of filled me in. So I, uh, as as we were w- watching uh, Back to the Future two on our, our VCR or Betamax or whatever Betamax. it was at the time. <laughs> so so if we were if we're the types not to disclose our full ages, basically who were born in the very early eighties or late seventies, um, then what should be considered the movies of our generation? It wouldn't be Karate Kid or Back to the Future. It would be like The Matrix. It's kind of sad when you think yeah. about it. But I think that the movies that uh, that matter to you in this way are not necessarily movies you were old enough to see in theaters and remember when they came out, but the movies that you saw, like, you know, 12 times on VCR with your friends in, like, late elementary school, early yeah, middle school, point, because yeah. you were too yeah. young to do anything else with your time. The yeah. Princess Bride. I haven't yes. overthought The Princess Bride yet, but that is, I mean, from that that is one of the... That and Goonies were two big ones for me, uh, for sure, which I guess were probably right around the same time as Back to the Future, but probably a year or two after it. Um, this is a little bit of a side topic, but Jordan, you, you, Stokes, you, you mentioned the watching videos on VHS. Um, at home because you you weren't old enough to go out to the theater and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know about you guys, but the, for, for for definitely for me, my experience with movies growing up was definitely defined by grainy VHS. Like my copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark was taped off a TV um, and had been watched so many times that the picture was just a complete blob without any sort of detail <laughs> at all. Um, and it was only later on that I realized that, hey, movies don't, aren't supposed to look like this. Amazing. Can I, can I have a little aside about the Princess Bride? Go for Please it. Please do. Is she technically a princess? You mean in the sense not, of what? That is she, her, is she's her father not, the king? No, she's not descended from royalty at all. Just because he's engaged to marry her doesn't make, doesn't make her automatically a princess when she becomes engaged to marry into a royal family. That's I think it would depend upon the laws of succession in that particular country. <laughs> so is it, so is it <laughs> I think this requires a Princess Bride week. That's actually a great, that's a good post. Um, that's an excellent post. Um, because Prince, Princess Di was a princess because she was married to a prince. I don't think she was a princess when she was merely engaged to him. Right? Well, but Buttercup gets married. But no, she doesn't. She never Is gets it? married. Yeah, right? she never says. Spoiler she alert, never spoiler says. Alert. She never says I do. Right? Like you know. You didn't he, do it. You didn't say it. He, when he you a man and wife. The priest pronounces the man and wife. Right, but she never the, says the, the, the I do. The wedding never gets. No, the wedding doesn't get uh, interrupted though. Like they, they're. I mean, well, you could argue, fine, but again, it's going to depend upon canon law. For uh, it's going to depend on Florinese canon law. So. <laughs> So you're, wait, so you're saying that at the end of The Princess Bride, she might technically be married to Prince Hupperdick? No, I think she definitely is. I don't think there's a might technically thing about it. But Wesley that says that she's not, up. and Wesley knows everything. 
But then I wonder, <laughs> do they go to, go off and I guess they go off as the Dread Pirate Roberts, right? Or no, who becomes the Dread Pirate Roberts? It's uh the man in particular doesn't yeah, die of yeah, I think he would die of infection. I mean, you guys are with me on that, right? That he definitely like I mean that that's I guess you don't think true love con- I mean, he, conquers he sepsis. Gets, I mean, <laughs> come on. Gangry, definitely. From that, from that, like deep stab wound that he's had his hand stuck in for the entire last act of the movie. Maybe the pain machine actually like removes the infection, uh, and so the pain machine in some ways removes it, uh, keeps him alive. If anyone hasn't written like a Princess Bride two, it seems like there's a lot of territory left to mine there. Well, William Goldman started to write it actually, and uh, I don't know much about it, but he doesn't die of sepsis. <laughs> and and then, I guess they also don't like you know they don't get subjected to uh, to the canon law uh, either. And th- 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 there's not a like counterclaim made in the in the religious courts uh, about the legitimacy of the marriage. I wow. guess not. <laughs> great Scott, Marty. We've gotten we, that was a hell of a diversion. But Princess Bride is great. We should definitely do some overthinking of Princess Bride in the future. But for now, it is definitely Back to the Future week. Um, it started. Expect some great posts, um, some videos as well coming out this week from the overthinking at writers. Um, we're coming up to the end of the podcast. Before we wrap it up, though, uh, very quickly, we're going to do return to overthink this. Uh, are the writers' picks for pop culture that they're enjoying and would like to share with you? I'm going to start with one briefly because I'm the host and I can do what I want. Damn it. <laughs> I'm going to share this briefly. It's a blog um, written by, uh, produced by a friend of mine. It's called Daily Violence. Um, I believe it's her way of getting over a relationship, and her way of doing so is producing daily cartoons of uh, vegetables and pieces of fruit, uh, committing acts of violence with each other, and working out relationship issues. It's great. You should check it out. I think she does it every day. So that's uh, Daily Violence, and the link, of course, will be on the show notes of this. Julie? Um, I'd like to recommend a album that I think actually just came out on vinyl, but I think the digital release is this week, uh, an album called Meriwether Post Pavilion by Animal Collective. Um, and it's both a, a really worth a listen, but it's also worth Googling the album. And it's, it's generated a tremendous amount of buzz. It's, it's already, you know, it was released this week uh, and has already been heralded as the album of 2009. Uh, was Pitchfork doing the heralding? Yeah, it was. I think it was given a nine point. Seven a by Pitchfork, um, and that that's well over everything else that was released uh, last year. That I think all of the top ten, um, and and but then there's already there's a lot of um, you know this is a Animal Collective is a they have their roots in experimental folk music, but have been moving towards a lot of using a lot of interesting uh, te- techniques of uh, uh, ambient noise music, and you know there aren't really discernible instruments in their music, but I think that. The, in many ways, this is they're they're moving towards a you know pop breakthrough. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, you know play on Saturday Night Live within the next year. Uh, and you know this is going to be a, a a band that is definitely going to cross over, if not to you know any any type of uh, top forty radio play, um, you know in in the kind of indie mainstream. And I think it's worth checking out and worth reading the uh, discussions that are happening online around the album. And I I, I enjoy it a lot, and it's definitely worth listening to so a serious threat to the jonas brothers dominance yeah excellent <laughs> there's also three of them so okay uh mr Blinky, you got a post you got a pick 
Yeah, I'm going to pay homage to a piece of uh, pop culture that I, I don't think we're going to be able to address this week because of Back to the Future Week, which is uh, American Idol returns on Tuesday. Oh, uh, it does. It's the beginning of the eighth season. And so that a lot of you have probably seen this, but there's a video going around called uh, The Worst Day of My Life. Have you guys Dude. seen this on YouTube? No. The Worst Day of My Life is a home movie uh, taken during the finale of the last uh, American Idol with a bunch of uh, like four uh, sort of preteen girls, you know, maybe like, you know, 12 or 13 year old girls watching with bated breath rooting for one of the Davids and that David does not win. And there, you've never seen sort of more cartoonishly exaggerated expressions of outrage and woe and just completes uh, – f- is flabbergastment a word? It is now. <laughs> I believe it's flabbergastation. <laughs> yeah. And the, the expressions of flabbergastation are, are absolutely worth watching. And then it's basically like – it's like a minute of them sort of like like waiting to hear the winner – and then about two minutes of them sort of like screaming around the room. And then their mom, like one of their mom comes in and tries to like sort of like talk them down off the ledge. And it, 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 it's great. It's they, great. Wow. And they beat the mother to death and like tear her limb from limb. I think I've seen this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty great. I'll send you the link. That sounds great. Okay. And last but not least, Mr. Stokes, what's your pick? Um, I think The Princess Bride is my pick this time. Not the movie. I think most people have seen the movie. The book, which is by uh, William Is It Safe Goldman, is really well worth reading. <laughs> I have not read the book. Um, you should. I, I did once in high school. It's, it's, yeah, I, I second uh, Jordan's recommendation. Excellent. It's on, next on my list after Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> <laughs> If Island Shrugged is the first book on your list of books to read, then you, my friend, will never read another book. <laughs> first and last. Okay. So that does it, that does it for our show. Um, thanks again to the panelists, uh, Mr. Sheely, Mr. Stokes, Mr. Blinky, uh, Mr. Rather, who is off in the woods on his overthinking retreat and who allowed me this opportunity to get drunk with power and host the podcast. So once again, it's back to the future week here on Overthinking It. Um, the announcements, once again, real quick, if you want to get in touch with us, don't email us because the email is down. Call us at 20 eat log zero one that's two zero three two eight five six four zero one don't forget to give us the rating on itunes please rate us high and rate us often um do the survey so that we can ruin this podcast with advertisements vote for us on the bloggy awards and last but not least make sure to visit overthinkingit.com the po- the blog that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve I think you did a good job. My brother's days are numbered. We just successfully assassinated a dictator. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, that might have been recording, rather, in case... case, Okay, all right, we are are starting the motherfucking podcast. Y'all ready? Music. (laughs) 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 (laughs)